Ecoscape. I'm your host Flavia and this is our last episode of the season. This year we've had a huge variety of content and we've covered so many topics from sustainable living to community and student-led activism, green politics, cultural heritage protection and that's just naming a few. But to end the season we wanted to leave you with some things to feel really positive about. While there's no doubt that there is so much more to be done to combat the ecological crisis, I think it's really important to acknowledge what's already happening in the work that's already being done. So we hope this week's segment leaves you feeling positive and hopefully inspired to contribute in your own way. So with me today and for the last episode of the first season of the EcoScoop, I've got the rest of the team with me. So I've got Kaylon and Imar with me today. And today um, we're going to reflect on the last year and share some of our favourite bits of being on the podcast and also some of our favourite bits of good news. So welcome, guys. Um, We have put out a huge amount of content this year. We've put out about 13 episodes. We've had so many different um, guests on. Um, Let's talk about your highlights. So what's been sort of your highlight or your key takeaway from this experience so far? Kaylon, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks for introducing me there. Um, I think probably actually the the highlight and standouts interviews that I had had were in relation to Dalridian gold mining um in the in the spurns and particularly the kind of like david and goliath type battle that was happening between um their encroachment into the mountains and uh the the community activist group save our spurns that was set up to kind of like thwart their their attempts to to mine in the area obviously being hugely detrimental towards the environment i think what what made it so interesting was the passion with which um my first speaker for delma um spoke and just how knowledgeable on the topic she was um obviously prior to any like any story we do research uh, proud of speaking to people, but um, my research was just blown out of the water after five minutes of chatting to this woman. Um, very, very insightful and very, very passionate. Um, and I think it was one of those stories they kept on giving as well. It was one where I actively had to stop myself from digging because there were so many threads to be unraveled. Um, particularly interesting was when we had um, Emmett McAleer on to talk about it. Um, and he was talking about the actual kind of like lobbying tactics used by the gold mining company um, to kind of win the hearts and minds of the people, kind of akin to like the, the US Army and uh, after Vietnam and things, and they have to like reform their attitudes. And so they would, um, he spoke about welfare tokens, wherein they would go into like local GIA clubs and uh, parishes and um, fund activities. And basically it was secondhand bribery almost, um, wherein they would make people sign um, non-disclosure agreements and support um, their operations um, in, in exchange for for funding for their for their organizations and so really just being able to like lift the lid on that and see it it honestly was like a hollywood blockbuster film and um it was very i obviously just scratched the surface of it here we're just a, a student radio um there's only so much we could do but it was um it was, it was humbling to see the work that these guys were doing and the fact that this battle was ongoing um just in the background yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I really like what you said. It was like a truly a David and Goliath story. And it was a great bit of sort of news that really shone a light on how communities can really come together to kind of protect their shared resources and their shared environment. That was actually one of my favorite interviews as well that we did this um, a whole year. I mean, for me, what I've really enjoyed is just the fact that 
we've been able to get such a variety of guests and cover such a variety of topics um, from like green politics all the way down to, you know, our relationship with plants and what that does for our mental health. So for me, it's been a real learning curve as to, you know, if you want to get involved with climate activism or if you want to make a difference there's so many different ways and so many different avenues into it that really it's just play to your strengths. I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, absolutely and to to that end actually i will throw the ball back into your court and ask you who your favorite um interviewee was or even even a spread of interviewees you talked yourself about the um the variety of guests that we had and so just even even a few names that you, you could pick out and um the reason that they like stood out to you um i mean gosh there's been literally so many people that i've spoken to um since we've started this back in November, that it's actually really hard. But I suppose the standout interviews for me was when we had Paul Brogan from Extinction Rebellion on. And it was really interesting to speak to him because obviously Extinction Rebellion received such negative press. Um, and, you know, people have such a, a limited idea of what it is they do and what it is they stand for. So having someone on kind of dispel some of those myths and really talk about, you know, how the organization works, what they're actually trying to achieve um, was really, really interesting. And I'm really pleased that he came on. Um, I mean, speaking to Rachel Woods recently as well about the work that she does for the Green Party and kind of having someone who can really show how green politics isn't just about environmental politics and all the stuff that she does for social justice and everything was was a real highlight as well because I felt like having her on really bolstered some of the arguments that we had when we were speaking to Professor John Barry the week before. I mean, I mean those are just literally so off the top of my head some of my favorite moments but there's been so many interviewees that we've had on julia carabelli and about her research that she did on people buying plants during lockdown and how sort of being isolated from our usual social groups people had kind of resorted to developing a relationship with nature and plants and um sort of investing in them and the benefits that had for their mental health that that was a really really interesting discussion so yeah no there's been so much on this podcast so far that really it's really hard to pick i agree yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna throw this back to you now so obviously you focus mainly on the good news segment but what's been the highlight for you like what have you taken away from the experience yeah so definitely i'd agree kind of with the um getting back to nature but i think the biggest highlight for me was literally the variety of stuff that we covered um, even every week, like I know I wasn't doing the interviews myself, but like I was like finding guests or like just researching the news, but it was such a variety. Like we'd go from one week to Extinction Rebellion, as you said, and then the next week, like it would be someone else. We had like architects in, we had, um, we had eco-therapists, we had like Professor John Barry, like there's just such a wide variety um, of like guests to listen to and to kind of like taking what they're saying um but even then in the news itself like there's such a wide variety of news um like and we couldn't cover it like there's stuff I was finding every week going yes 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 but you can't fit it in um but it's brilliant like there's just so much stuff going on like like shampoo bars like even like just seeing um as you go through the news how consumer companies are reacting even in tiny small steps to um kind of the pressure that consumers are putting on people and it is like although it's tiny it's having a positive environment but like it's also interesting to see that balance of like the greenwashing um whereby like they say it's very green but it might not actually be very green um but just the whole like pattern of putting pressure on and seeing the results but just the wide variety of stuff like it's like nothing to do with that as well um conservation that's definitely been a highlight the wee animal stories we're getting in every yeah. week um, they were absolutely delightful to read and just to watch videos on them. So it's just, I think just the wide variety of stuff. Like I've learned so much 
um, just in the past three months. Like there's so much knowledge that I've gotten from it. Um, it's absolutely amazing. Um, it, yeah, no, it's been brilliant just to get everything in and just to come every week and just find some new things, learn some more stuff. It's been absolutely amazing. Yeah. No, it has. And I think like one of the things you said, I've learned so much as well, because obviously like people see the polished product and <laughs> polished, I say that in inverted commas, um, product that comes out every week. But like in the background, we do so much research that it's it really opened up my eyes to like the work that's being done out there, the different ways. The, and I've learned just so much about what's going on in the world of like the ecological crisis and what people are doing to try and combat it. That, you know, I, I don't know how I could have possibly have gained that much knowledge if I hadn't started the podcast. Um, so yeah, it's been an absolutely amazing experience on that front of it. And I hope like to our listeners as well, that we've been able to kind of pass on some of that knowledge because that's always been the aim of the podcast. It's been to, you know, acknowledge the assets and the ecological crisis, but also recognize that people are doing work and that people are taking positive steps and that, that, that there are different ways to get involved and that, you know, learning is key and knowing is key. The more you know, the more you can do. Um, so, yeah. Um, so sort of like the aim of this episode, really, given that it's the, the end of the season um is really to kind of end on a positive note and talk about some of the good news like i said there's obviously a lot of work being done and the whole point of this podcast is to highlight that and hopefully inspire other people to get involved so ima i know you mentioned before that you know the whole process of actually putting together the good news segment every week is quite painful because we have to go through and we have to decide right what's making the cut and what isn't making the cut so there's been a number of things that we've cut over the weeks um, because of time constraints, but now's an opportunity to kind of add them in. So do you want to tell us about the good news stories that didn't make it, but you think still deserve a shout out? Yeah, there's been so, so many. And like, I was looking through like it's 10 weeks of like word files and like links and everything else. Um, but there's definitely been a few that have stuck out. Um, one that we couldn't get in one week was, um, there's just, there's been so much kind of within, like, I feel like plastics become such a big thing, but there's such a focus on now kind of plastic. And like, I've started working in a shop, so I see how much plastic comes in every day and you can't do anything with it. Like, um, there's just crisp packets and you look at it and you go, yeah. Um, but there's so much work kind of being done on that and in like really interesting places. So one kind of interesting news piece that I came across, um, I think was back in February or so, um, was in Kenya there is um, a company who are now making bricks out of plastic um, so they're actually said to be stronger than concrete um, and how they make the bricks is they basically go to kind of plastic factories or like places where there be plastic waste um, just like non-recyclables even like shampoo bottles or like plastic bags so they take that um, they melt it down and then they mix it with kind of sand and um, kind of they compress it into like a brick shape. And so they then um, then use them as bricks and they're meant to be stronger than concrete as well, which is brilliant. Um, it's just it's really innovative and it really caught my eye. And it's one that stuck out to me because we didn't get it in that week just because we had so much already. Um, but yeah, no, that was a really interesting one. I mean, there's been loads as well. There's um, some bison that are no longer endangered, um, which is a big woo. Um, there's been, I'm trying to think what else. There's, I've seen a lot recently as well on the use of face masks and recycling or reusing kind of um, the face masks in kind of building roads, I think was one I saw recently as well. They're building roads out of face masks. Um, but there's been ones like building um beds out of PPE so like winding them together um, for countries where hospital beds are really short they're kind of making mattresses that are like both disposable but like 
cleanable and they've used like PPE out of that. So it's nice to see people are being very innovative um, and that's been lovely to see every week. Yeah, no, definitely. That especially some plastic, of my highlights. Especially with plastics. Plastic's like one of my bugbears. It's something that's going to hang around for hundreds of years and I always think there must be things you can do with it if it's going to retain its sort of... Um, it's formed for that long there's got to be a better better use you can put to it than just throwing it in landfill so I completely agree with you I love those stories that come along where people are thinking outside the box and they're going right we've got this material that's going to hang around for a load of years like what can we actually do with it what can we work work with the properties of this material and kind of put it to work um and obviously our animal stories have always been a bit of a of a highlight which in itself is really good news because I mean it shows that conservation efforts are working and animals that are previously endangered are either no longer endangered you know populations are growing which means that, that there's a, a lot of good effort going in that's yielding results and obviously we love to hear stories about turtles go being released into the sea down their little slides so that's got to be one of my highlights <laughs> definitely yeah no there have been a few like that that have been really really nice to see yeah have you got any recent news for us so have you got any bit of recent good news your last bit of the season uh, my last bit of the season so sad <laughs> um yeah no i kind of um it's been a busy week but two of the ones that i kind of came across and it was one of these links back to news that I didn't get to put in earlier um, in the season. Um, so there's, uh, it's kind of upcoming now, um, it'll be in a few weeks time, but there's the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, so that is, it's COP15, so like COP26, it'll be happening in November around climate, but this one's um, on biological diversity. Um, it's a big kind of conference that'll be happening in China and will be attended by like all the countries kind of who are kind of part of the UN, so it's a UN convention. Um, so that's up and coming in May. And I think there is a national or international biodiversity day, kind of, I think maybe two days after that. So everything's kind of situated around the same time. I think it runs from maybe the 10th to the 17th. And then the biodiversity day um, is on the 22nd of May. Um, so keep an eye out for events. Um, there might be ones kind of on Facebook and stuff, kind of online, but also you'd think to be like planting trees and everything else um, that'll be coming up which is always lovely we love to plant a tree um but yeah so the um thing that's coming up in may then um there's at least 50 countries who have committed to protect almost a third of wildlife by 2030 so it kind of all kind of comes into the paris agreement and stuff but um so far um the world hasn't really met un targets so hopefully this will be kind of like a chance for people to kind of reinstate um kind of their goals and their aspirations especially around things like agriculture conservation um even like bee populations like I, there's a lot of news coming out recently about bees and the problems with like bee populations decreasing um and then that's having an effect on crops and everything so it's just i feel like it's a really important one to highlight um that it's coming up and yeah it kind of links back to a news article i found in I think it was around February where there was a UK paper came out um, on the use of um, not bioagriculture, but it was um, kind of environmentally based agriculture that um, the UK could reduce their emissions by quite a substantial amount just through like that agriculture. But that was all tying then into the bio biological diversity kind of convention that's happening in May. Um, so that was kind of in the lead up to that. So yeah, no, that's... Um, that's one piece of news I um, wanted to highlight and that kind of linked back to other stuff as well. Um, and then another one, um, just to go back to plastic again, um, I, plastic's such a pesky thing really, but um, this one's very interesting. Um, so it's kind of nature as well. So microbiologists um, have kind of discovered a way to make um, 
plastic um, or to get plastic from things like water with um, kind of bacteria. So it's a special type of bacteria. It's kind of only in the early stages of development as to whether it'll work or not. Um, but it's basically, so whenever you kind of brush your teeth, um, there's like a biofilm comes off it. Um, so I think this is kind of a similar idea that the um, the bacteria are going to like collect the microplastics because there's so many microplastics kind of floating about everywhere. They're getting into fish, they're getting into meat. I saw someone, they're getting into lettuces. So that's not good because it just kind of is going into all like the waterways and they can like soak up toxins and stuff. So this would be a really handy way for um, even before it went into our drinking systems or things went out into rivers and stuff. It would be a really handy way to kind of even at the sewage plant kind of like for the bacteria to kind of collect all the microplastic you can get before it goes into rivers or it goes into oceans. Because even as we wash clothes, like unless it's kind of like a natural cotton or bamboo fiber, a lot of it will like shed like microplastics. But you, I know you can get bags to put your clothes in as well, but most people don't really have those. Um, so yeah, it would be brilliant if this could be kind of developed more um, and kind of used to kind of avoid um, the microplastics kind of getting more into our ocean. I think it kind of takes it into like a big blob almost. Um, is kind of the aim of the aim of the um, bacteria with the plastic. So I thought that was a really, really interesting kind of piece of innovation this week. No, definitely. And it's, it's aiming to deal with one of the big problems that we have, which is plastic in our oceans. I mean, I don't know if you guys watched Seaspiracy, but I did. And it's a very controversial documentary. Not all of it's 100% reliable, but that is one of the big problems is kind of destroying the biodiversity of our seas is microplastics and just plastic hanging around the sea. So it's great to see innovation coming out about that's going to tackle that to some extent. Um, so that's great. And it kind of links into your biodiversity. Um, sort of bit of news as well because I feel like biodiversity sometimes gets lost in the discussion of climate change where we talk too much about emissions and carbon fuels and all that kind of thing and we forget about you know the loss of biodiversity and animals and wildlife yeah. and whatnot so I think it's really good to highlight bits of news that seek to address that. No I'd agree um it's kind of I know we've had big focus on energy and emissions um in like the good news pieces but like as when I was younger, the first thing I thought environment was plants, animals. So it's nice to come back to that um, and kind of just to come back to basically the roots of kind of a lot of environmental stuff was kind of like literally nature, nature itself. Whereas now it's like the whole globe is being affected, whereas before it was like just very much little certain parts. But yeah, I know it's nice to come back to kind of the basics of the environment, to nature to plants, yeah. to animals, to the grass between our toes, <laughs> um, <laughs> hugging trees. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it is It is nice to come back to the basics kind of because we rely on biodiversity for our food, basically, and we rely on it for our lives. So yeah, no, it's really important. Yes, everything's interconnected, isn't it? That's, that's the thing that we sometimes um, forget. Have you got any other bits of good news for us or is that, was that you for the season? I think that might be me for the season. Um, I'll have a couple of bits of pieces to say later, but that's not news and you'll have to wait to find out. Kaylon, have you got any bits of good news for us? I know you don't normally contribute to the good news segment, but seeing as it's our last episode of the season, I thought I'd give you a chance to, you know, pitch in some good news of your own. Mm. I do. I, I do very much appreciate the chance, but I might actually squander it by um, having to address the uh, the elephant in the room. I think we'd be remiss not to uh, not to mention the the more wildfires, um, as as uh, Emer touched upon, back to basics and actual like ecology and whatnot. 
I think obviously the ecological, like the, the ecological damage of that has um, been been quite dire because um, I know it's, it's nesting season at the minute. So be the likes of red kites and raptors and whatnot will be laying eggs and you have the, the, the likes of her and wild deer. Um, <clears throat> and so we're off to a good a good start on the uh, on the good news front. But in, in in exploring the story, I did manage to find a few silver linings um, insofar as the um, the devastation has kind of highlighted um, the fact that people genuinely do care about their local environment. And there has been a lot of rallying support. So we've seen examples of cafes opening their doors to firefighters, offering them free teas and coffees. Um, we've seen examples of uh, like crowdfundings and GoFundMes for the firefighters and in donations in terms of like food to the firefighters. Um, one example that I came across in my research was a woman, Nicola Thompson. Um, her younger son, Charlie, uh, has uh, learning difficulties and is absolutely besotted with um, all things emergency services. And they, they live beside the Mourns. And um, Charlie wanted, wanted so desperately to do anything to help. So Nicola posted um, uh, a crowdfunding um, campaign on Facebook, expecting and hoping to raise uh, one and a half thousand. Uh, but by lunchtime on Sunday, she had raised four thousand. Um, and so that money went to the over 100 firefighters who were uh, fighting um, the, the Mourn blaze. And so I think in, in this in this kind of like devastation, we, we do see evidence of the fact that the preservation of local ecology and um, local environment environmentalism is still very much um, at the fore. Um, perhaps a bit further afield, and maybe this is a bit more in the remit of, of good news, is um, I, I'm sure some of us have heard the um, heard the, the harrowing statistic of the fact that we know more about the surface of the moon than we do um, about our own our own oceans. Um, so um, there was there's an initiative called Blue the the, the Blue Belt program, um, wherein the UK is hoping to uh, to fund the exploration of um, like underwater wildlife in its overseas territories. Because um, I think today the statistic is only seven point sixty five percent of oceans are categorised as protected areas, and to do so, we have to obviously have some degree of monitoring. So I think the the plan is is that this this program will cover four million square kilometres of ocean space, and will basically install underwater uh, monitoring cameras to hopefully try and further our knowledge of of the ecology. And as I said, like all of this being funded by the uh, by the UK government. Um, and speaking of the UK government, a bit more. Um, grandiose and kind of like keeping with the with the Paris climate agreement kind of like, like ethos is uh, the fact that the UK has actually come out and um, announced the world's most ambitious climate change target uh, that will be ratified into law. Uh, they plan to reduce the emissions by 78% by uh, 2035 uh, and this is in comparison to the uh, the prior like 1990s levels um, and so kind of akin to the uh, to the Paris agreement we're trying to introduce legislation and actual kind of in incentives and um co-ratified targets for us to hit which I, I think instills a bit of kind of a bit of promise on on that front no definitely i'm quite impressed with boris's government and and there are some words i never thought i'd say um, recently in these projects that they've announced and definitely in the new climate um goals that they've announced and like you said the fact that it's being enshrined in legislation is really promising as well because it makes it obviously legally binding which means that it can't like previous um targets the governments have set you know these are actually going to be legally binding and you know they're going to be enforceable on the government which is which is hugely possible uh positive because a big part th that i worry about sort of paris agreement etc is that enforceability isn't really there so while countries are kind of making these commitments they're not they're not obliged to really comply with them so to see something that's actually going to be enshrined in law i think is really positive 
No, absolutely. Uh, to that end as well, I think um, Joe Biden announced, like we, I'm, I'm sure we've all heard about um, Trump having left the, uh, the the Paris Climate Agreement, I think um, over some kind of like petty squabble regarding uh, China and India being allowed to kind of like have free reign of fossil emissions. Um, so they had like previously left the, the Paris Agreement. I think um, Joe, like one of Joe Biden's pledges on his uh, first day of taking office was that they would rejoin on it um, at the at his recent digital summit last week there. Um, he he reaffirmed his, his promise to put um the the us's um approach to climate change front and center so i think there there definitely there are certainly merits to uh, the uk's like legally ratified proposal but i think there still is a time and a place for the for the paris agreement and it's good to see the us um still still kind of like taking it seriously once again yeah no definitely and on that news while we're talking about sort of political leadership and what that can kind of achieve one of the bits of good news that i kind of had and it's not really it's sort of a recent bit of good news, but not. Um, but I thought it was a great example of what government leadership can achieve. So in 2020, Costa Rica was named one of the greenest countries in the world. Now, why that's really important is because Costa Rica in the 70s and the 80s actually suffered one of the highest rates of deforestation in the world. And they've actually managed to really rapidly recover from that. Um, and they're now actually protecting around 5% of the world's rapidly shrinking biodiversity. So that's a really small proportion. But when you think about the size of Costa Rica, that's actually really, really impressive, I thought. Um, so, like I said, I picked this one because I thought that, you know, it's really amazing that such a small nation has managed to do so much with its own sort of natural resources. But not only that, they're actually aiming for total decarbonisation by 2050. So they're really trying to pave the way in sort of global discussions and global action to tackle climate change. Um, and they've also turned their attention to um, working on an ambitious international agreement um, that works on stopping biodiversity loss. So they've sort of started work on the High Ambition Coalition for Nature and People. Um, and they've been spearheading that and they're co-chairing it along France and the UK. And actually, they're going to be present at the biodiversity conference that Ema mentioned um, earlier on in May. So I just think it's amazing that a small country like Costa Rica can have such a huge impact and, you know, show such amazing climate leadership. And I think that they're an absolute role model for all sort of governments in the world um and i just i just thought i'd throw that in there whilst we were talking about government leadership sorry to definitely it's come a theme this week i feel as the biological kind of side of things and the natural side of nature which is quite nice <laughs> no definitely um and i suppose i couldn't sort of let the last episode of the season go without throwing in my own bits of good news and i've kind of gone through one of them but i've got a couple of more um Ooh, one, of them, <laughs> one of them i thought was really really interesting because there's been sort of a lot of debate about launching green bonds or you know sort of redirecting finance into green projects and apple has actually launched a carbon removal initiative called the restore fund and it's about 200 million funds. So it's a huge amount of money that's being um, put into this fund. Um, and it's being launched in um, partnership with Conservation International and it's being managed by Goldman Sachs. So again, it's really good to see some of these big international finance companies sort of taking on these kind of projects because it really sort of builds confidence that these kind of projects can really work. So it's going to invest in like a range of different measures, um, but it's going to aim to remove at least 1 million metric tons of CO2 from the atmosphere. Um, and also, hopefully, all going well, demonstrating that models like this are financially viable, meaning that future ones can also be launched. So I know we've talked about a greenwashing, and I just wanted to address that. So the Restore Fund, which is what they're launching, is going to use robust international standards, standards developed by recognised organisations like the 
IPCC and UN Climate Convention. So it's going to be fully regulated, it's going to be fully monitored, and it's going to work in compliance with agreed standards. So it's a it's a really positive move, I think, for green financing, and hopefully it is really, really successful, and we'll see many, many, many more of these coming along because, you know, these projects cost money, and we desperately, desperately need big financial companies like these putting money into these projects so that we can expand them. And the last one that I had is a slightly weird one, but I thought we needed to have a slightly weird one to end because I feel like that's kind of become a bit of a pattern, so I thought I'd take that on this week. So we all know about Chernobyl and we all know that, you know, it was a huge nuclear disaster which resulted in exclusion zone. People are still not allowed to live there. The people are allowed to kind of sightsee around some areas, but within regulations of exposure times, etc. But whilst there was an immediate damage to the ecosystem following the nuclear disaster, what scientists have actually found is that in the past three decades, there's actually been a growth in biodiversity. Um, in the area. They've seen rare species like the lynx and the vulnerable European bison, who I didn't know was vulnerable, but they've seen a research of resurgence of these species. And they've also seen species like wolves uh, population increasing sevenfold. So animal populations are really thriving in this environment, which is completely inhabitable, inhabitable for humans. Granted, they don't know the specifics of the health of these animals because of the high levels of radiation. So scientists can't actually go in and test these animals to make sure that they're 100% healthy. But they haven't spotted any wolves with three eyes or anything like that. Everything looks perfectly healthy. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really great example of just reflecting on the impact that we have on our environment and actually an example of when you remove humans from an environment, how it can really bounce back fairly quickly. So I just thought that was really interesting to kind of highlight that, you know, here's a case study that really shows how nature can kind of bounce back once you remove the human element from it. So yeah, that, that, that's my good news for the week. That's lovely. <laughs> that's, it's so nice to hear as well about like, whenever places can be left so when you think about it if somewhere is left to its own self like nature will come back like nature will always win out so even if the, they do have three tails or like some superhuman strength <laughs> some foxes and some cats you know um but no definitely I think it is like nature can like even if you have a garden at home like if you don't mow that grass the grass just blows back up again like it's it is really nice to like see nature but like especially that is as you said a lovely case study as to how nature can like reinsert itself and re like take over places that it was before already um but um now it's like properly coming back so that I that is lovely no i really like that i mean granted yeah radiation's still there and we don't know how well these animals are doing but they look to be doing absolutely fine and you know it's hard to imagine that if the if the if the conditions didn't allow it they wouldn't be there so no i completely agree with you i think it's i think it's a great case study but i think that's all the good news we've got for today um Ema, before i let you go you had some other bits that you wanted to add on Yes. Um, so this is kind of like a follow up on the episode we had on sustainable lifestyles. Um, after kind of kind of talking about it for so long, I guess, um, I decided that I would myself purchase a couple little bits. Um, <laughs> we'll say it's for the EcoScoop, you know, it's, it's also for me, but no, <laughs> um, a couple of bits that I purchased um, and one that I didn't even think to mention on that episode. Um, I suppose I'll start off with um, that is um, it's a deodorant. So this deodorant is kind of one I know some people might have seen it all over their Instagrams. It's 
um, by the brand Wild or We Are Wild. So it's a deodorant that is, um, the company says is more sustainable and I do believe it is. So we know aerosols can be a bit like, or quite polluting really because they're CFCs and stuff historically. Um, but also they're kind of hard to recycle and everything else. And even like plastic deodorants and stuff, you're buying them so like often. But this is a deodorant company that um, they make. So it's an aluminium based case. So the case is aluminium. It's recyclable. They use some recycled plastic in it. Um, but what you do is you it's available online at um, www.wearewild.com. So you order a case from there and it comes with a refill or you can get three refills and you have a choice, a very wide choice of scents. Um, there's lemon meringue, there's lavender, there's um, mint, eucalyptus, anything you could think of. Um, there's there. I myself a lavender one. I got a purple case. I wish you could see it. It looks absolutely amazing. Um, but it, the case, um, it basically has a wee housing unit for a wee. It's almost like a little brick of deodorant. Um, what What's so good about it as well is um, the materials themselves um, are natural. So they're kind of made with, um, there's beeswax. I think there's a couple of seed waxes, um, a couple of essential oils in there. Um, so it's not like your usual kind of industrial aluminium filled, carbon filled kind of deodorant that you get and you're going to slather onto yourself every day. Um, so you can reorder ones every month. You can subscribe. You can order a month off. Um, uh, but it comes in, in a lovely, pretty box. You can get men's, you can get women's and it's absolutely gorgeous. I wish you could see it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's quite compact as well. Very sleek looking. Um, so yeah, it means you're not throwing away stuff every month. Um, the only thing you're going to throw away is a little compostable kind of case for it. And it's compostable and that's literally all you're throwing away, which is lovely. Plastic free packaging. Um, the second bit is some really funky shorts I got. So um, there's this website um, called Bamboo Clothing. Um, the brand that they have is BAM, is their brand, but they make a lot of kind of sports clothes, outdoorsy clothes, yoga clothes. They even do, they're kind of branching out and they're going into making jeans. Um, so they're kind of, they base all their clothes um, in bamboo jersey kind of material or just bamboo cotton. Um, these shorts I got, I got them for running because I'd be quite into sport and I needed a pair of running shorts. Um, there's different lengths. So I got the long ones and they're called the Enduro Bamboo Shorts. Um, and I think they cost £30, but you can find discounts um, anywhere you look really and even on the website themselves. But they use less water um, than other companies would. They have like a goal to reduce all their kind of chemical polluting emissions by 2030 as well. Um, they have climate goals, so they're aiming to be carbon neutral. Um, they use bamboo, but there's only sustainably sourced bamboo. Um, so yeah, no, they're absolutely brilliant. They're really, really soft and really stretchy. And I would 100% recommend going to check them out if you want any sort of active wear. If you want even just comfy t-shirts, comfy socks, they even, made me sign up and then offered to send me some free socks throughout the year so I was like yes please I would love some free socks <laughs> um so no I think they're a brilliant company they're plastic free packaging the only plastic like thing is a compostable bag um so yeah easy handy returns good value and absolutely so soft and brilliant for the environment too as far as I can tell so um yeah no that's um that's kind of my last little pieces um for this episode anyways and for this season so if you want some summer clothes go check them out or on a kind of brand like that but bamboo clothing.co.uk 
Well, there you go. Ema recommends. That might be another segment we add on to the next season of the EcoScoop and Ema recommends. It's great to see that it's had a positive impact on you. Look at you, looking at all these sustainable companies. I, I think this is definitely something we're going to have to discuss off air as potentially coming back next next year. Um, I think that's all we've got time for for this season. As sad as that is, that's us done for the first season of the Eco Scoop. Um, just before I let you go, obviously a shout out to you two for doing such amazing work um, and securing such great guests and such great contributions every week. Um, a shout out to all our guests who've come on so far. Thank you for making the season incredible as it was and obviously to Steph for putting together all the episodes for you guys to listen. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully see you next year for another season. Thank you. And thank you, Flavia, for putting it together for us every week, rounding us up. And it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you. And everyone, I hope you're enjoying it as well. <laughs> yeah, same here. Like, honestly, it's been, it's been class crack. Um, learned a lot. Had a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening, I guess. For Jews, like for, for slogging it out. <laughs> and on that incredibly positive night. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> See you soon, guys. Yeah.